You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. We don't know each other. I'm Nick. I'm the pastor here in Illini Life. It's good to be worshiping with you this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to see faces, new faces, and to have met some of you already this morning. Happy Palm Sunday. If you did not get a palm cross on the way in, uh, we have some more on the back. Take them. Take this with you this week. It's a good chance to uh, draw your mind and reflect on uh, the events coming up this week, the big celebration of Easter that we're headed for. These, These palm crosses, they have been a chance for Christians to celebrate, to remember, to commemorate, and reflect on Palm Sunday for, for many years, for many Christians. I like to keep this near my workspace uh, all week, to sort of draw my heart and my mind back to the events of Good Friday and Easter that we're headed for this week. Now, uh, if you haven't heard, and actually, I guess if you have heard, you still got to listen anyways, um, well, if you choose not to, we're having a Good Friday service this week, right? At the Illini Life office, 7 p.m., We'll have, uh, we're looking at about an hour long. And Good Friday, this is a time to reflect on the events of Jesus' betrayal, his arrest, his crucifixion. It's a somber time, an important time in the Christian calendar. And so we'll do that Friday night at the Illini Life office. But that's not the end. The death was not the end for Jesus, was it? And it's not the end for us as we follow him. And so next Sunday, we'll regather here. For Easter Sunday, for Resurrection Day, with a great celebration, we'll join together for Easter. It's just one week away. Afterwards, we'll join for lunch over at the Norcross backyard. Pray for good weather. Pray for sunshine. More of today. Amen. Amen. Pray for warm weather. <laughs> I am ready for it. I hope you are as well. We'll gather. We'll feast. We'll celebrate. And we'll enjoy being together. The pinnacle of the Christian calendar: Resurrection Day, Easter Sunday. The big week ahead of us. This is a big week in the church calendar. Sometimes say this is the main event, right? This is what we've been working towards, our understanding of who Jesus is. Or Jesus was working towards, rather. I hope you'll join us in reflecting. uh, Engage with your small group as you study the passage this week. Engage with us in the Good Friday service and come back here on Easter Sunday. Gather to celebrate in the the Norcross backyard. But before we get to all of that, right, we got today. We have Palm Sunday. That's where we start. This is the start of a crazy week. Think about it. For Jesus followers, this was a week of the highest highs and the lowest lows. Their hearts ripped out. This is a a crazy week in the life and ministry of Jesus. And for us, it begins wrapping up this season of Lent, right? Many of you have been reading along in in our reading plan, and if you... Uh, noticed it, it ended today, and we have Holy Week ahead of us, so I encourage you to keep engaging with Scripture and focusing on uh, the coming of Easter. This, we've been preparing our hearts for this for 40 days already. Now, I don't know what your church background is. I don't know what emotions or memories come to mind when I say Palm Sunday or even Good Friday or Easter, for that matter, right? Maybe maybe not much comes to mind. Maybe you don't have any uh, memories. That's, that was much of my childhood. We weren't really a church-going family. At least uh, we weren't until my parents got divorced, and then my dad started bringing us to church as he returned uh, to his faith. And I don't have many, many memories of church, but I do have memories of Palm Sunday and Easter, interestingly enough. I remember Palm Sunday because it was different. 
there was palm branches all in the lobby of the church. And there were palm branches in the sanctuary, and these palm crosses were handed to us as we walked in. And I can remember, when we say Palm Sunday, I can remember standing in a, in a pew with plush red <laughs> velvet seats, standing in a pew and singing with a palm branch or a palm cross in my hand, singing Hosanna, which we'll talk about later today, or later this morning. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Now see, I have memories of Palm Sunday, but the main thing that I remember about Palm Sunday, the main thing I can remember, the excitement as I stood in that pew, is knowing that Easter was one week away. And Easter meant something very specific for me. Actually, a number of things very specific. It meant Easter bunnies, <laughs> Easter baskets, <laughs> Easter egg hunts, sometimes with money in them when Grandma filled them. It meant more candy than a human child should be allowed to eat. And it meant being back at church the next week and going to Grandma's house for a Polish feast. You know, I'm Polish uh, and... Uh, Enjoy some of these uh, these traditions in our family. All our cousins would gather. Everyone would get together at Grandma's house after service, and we'd have uh, a Polish meal. We'd spend time all afternoon. We'd search for eggs. We'd throw footballs around in the in the yard outside, and we'd beg my dad to stay as long as we possibly could as we enjoyed the spring weather. It was an exciting time. See, well, I knew this season was about Jesus. And I knew that we went to church more often because it was an important time to reflect on Jesus. To me, Palm Sunday, Easter, this season, was more about candy, my cousins, and kolaczki, which, if you don't know, is a delicious Polish cookie. Uh, see, sometimes that's just sort of the way it is with us, right? Like, we can be engaged in a tradition. We can be sitting in a pew at the pinnacle of the, the church calendar and be thinking about the after party at Grandma, focused on what is sort of the after celebration, not the main event. We can be engaging with traditions and have very different expectations or very different understandings of why we're doing it, very different motivations. We can even be here today on Palm Sunday, ready to celebrate and worship, ready to proclaim Jesus as King. And we could be here admiring a palm cross and wondering who came up with that and how they folded it. Right. Different focuses. Either way, wherever our heart, whatever our motivation is, there's a reality that we're invited to live into in this season. A reality we're invited to live into today. That reality is that Jesus is king. Jesus is king. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. In fact, that's exactly what we're going to see in the passage this morning as we dig into it. We're going to see that Jesus is king even when we're confused about what that means, even when our motivations or understandings don't line up, even, even if we don't acknowledge him as king. The reality remains that Jesus is king of all. On Palm Sunday, we stop and we reflect, we remember that reality, we remember it through the strange circumstances of crowds of people waving palm branches at a man riding on a donkey into an ancient city. 
Palm Sunday is about, right? A man riding on a donkey. Jesus is king. Let's unpack our passage and see how that all comes about. Now, last week, if you were with us, or if you had a chance to listen on our podcast, David Ross, our worship director, he shared with us from chapter 11 of John's Gospel. And there, Jesus raises his friend Lazarus from death. John goes on to tell us that, that this miracle, it starts to draw even more attention to Jesus. He's already had a lot of followers. This, this draws even more numerous crowds. And the religious leaders, they've had enough, right? We've been seeing this all along in John's Gospel. The tension is growing between Jesus and the religious leader. They've had enough. They decide, we have to do away with this guy. Let's kill Jesus. Get done. Let's be done with him. His disorderliness, he's so in chaos, let's get rid of him and be done with this irritation once and for all. And Jesus and his disciples, John tells us, sensing this danger, they retreat. They retreat to the wilderness to a village called Ephraim. It's about 13 miles northeast of Jerusalem. Okay? And there they remain briefly. They're briefly waiting for the Passover that's quickly approaching. For Passover, they're going to make their pilgrimage back down to Jerusalem to worship at the temple like devout Jews would do. John tells us Passover draws near and they make the journey back to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, where they had just been. Now, in Bethany, they're just two miles, two miles to the east of, of Jerusalem. They're, they're close. They can practically see it from the Mount here, this is where Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, and so the crowds, they know him, and they know this miracle, and the crowds are gathered. A large crowd starts to catch word from Jerusalem that he's here. And so, an even larger crowd develops. Let's read the opening part of our passage this morning and see how this starts to unpack. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Right? So the crowd is growing. They've come to see the man who has power over death and the one whom he raised from the dead. So now it's not going to be enough just to get rid of Jesus, right? They're going to have to get rid of Lazarus, too, because Lazarus alive creates more attention for Jesus. It's leading more Jews astray from the religious leaders. Their, their hold over him. This Jesus, he's creating too much of a disservice. And Lazarus, he's, he's causing, he's contributing to that. So let's get rid of both. Let's just be done with it. That's their decision. It's not right. Uh, now to get a sense of why they're concerned, why this large crowd, how large this crowd is, and how quickly it could develop, how quickly word could spread about Jesus. Historic records tell us of the size of Jerusalem swelling immensely during Passover. This is one of the key celebrations where Jews would come from all over to make pilgrimage to Jerusalem. One historian says over two million pilgrims made their journey to the temple to worship for Passover. The city is immense at this point. So word spreads quickly. And they want to see. They want to see this man who's raised from the dead. They want to see the man who raised him from the dead. They came from all over the empire to worship God and remember during Passover, to remember how God's mercy was shown to them as he passed over Israel during the final plague in Egypt when the angel of death 
kill the firstborn children, ultimately leading to Jesus free, leading to Israel's freedom and slave, from slavery and out of their exodus out of Egypt into the promised land. The blood of the lamb over the doorpost allowed the angel to pass over them. So they, they remember this monumental event where they were set free, where God saved them from Egypt. And I can just imagine these devout Jews coming to celebrate and remember this occasion. Coming to Jerusalem for Passover. And they get word. They get word that there is a teacher, one who's teaching with great authority, who's healing the blind, who's healing the lame, who has raised a man from the dead. And they have to start wondering. They had to start wondering, is this who Isaiah was prophesying about? Is this who Zechariah spoke about? Is this the promised coming king? Is it him? I'm sure, I'm sure they're searching the scriptures or what they had of them, and they're wondering, is this, is it him? Is it the promised one? Their conversations must have been filled with it. And so they go to meet him. They kind of see, is this the guy? The crowd is immense. I think it's, I think it's beautiful how kind God has been to record and, and bring us along, even them, bring them along for all he's doing. To provide us with the scriptures to study, to read, to look, and be able to connect the dots, to line it up, and move us towards worship. To see Jesus for who he is. Even for them, Sure, that's what they were doing. And so the crowds form. Let's read and see how this goes. Picking up back in verse 12 now. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So leaving Bethany, Jesus and the disciples, they make the two-mile journey to Jerusalem. Along the way, they encounter the crowd, the crowd that's come out to see him. Now the crowd, they have palm branches that they are waving at him, palm branches that they've laid down to make a path for him. And they're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. This is a strange scene. Right? Imagine it. This is not something we see every day. It's especially strange if you didn't grow up in a church or you haven't studied this passage before. You just think about it, at its bare bones, you have people waving leaves at a man and shouting blessings to him. Right? What is going on here, right? Let's unpack this. What? Why these things, right? Why these? Why these elements? Now, palm branches. Palm branches at this time they, they were sometimes used in worship, but they were largely used uh, as a symbol of victory and kingship. He would greet a king as he came back with palm branches waving, paving a path with palm branches. The crowd waving palm branches and lining the path for Jesus, this is a statement of the coming king, the welcoming a king. They're acknowledging Jesus as king as they wave these palm branches. 
right? And, and the crowd, the crowd, they call out this, this word Hosanna, right? Which, it, to, to be fully honest, they probably are just using it as an exclamation. You know, it's like awesome, you know, for us or something. Like, it doesn't mean quite, maybe to them, quite literally what it means. But the word literally means save now, which is an amazingly appropriate word for what is about to transpire. And they have no clue. They're just, they're just proclaiming, Hosanna! And Jesus is like, yes, I will. Um, that's what's coming. So knowingly or unknowingly, they are declaring, Jesus is the king that saves. And they do this with the most appropriate word possible. He's the king that has come to save his people from their true oppressors, sin. Not the oppressor that's fleeting and temporary, Rome at this moment, at that moment. Shout Hosanna, save now, and indeed he will, won't he? And then they quote, they quote from the scripture. They say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is a quote from Psalm 118. You may have saw that in your study this week, cross-references in your Bible. This quote is originally addressed to pilgrims coming to the temple to worship. And so in this regard, it's, it's completely fitting to quote this to Jesus. He's a pilgrim coming to Jerusalem to worship at the temple for Passover. It's a fitting verse to use. But they add something to this quote, don't they? They didn't just stop there. They say, even, even the king of Israel, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel, blessed, to him, blessed be him as he comes to worship. All of this, this whole picture, their actions, their words, it reveals what they believe, why they are assembled. The palm branches, the declaration of Hosanna, the quote from Psalm 118, and declaring Jesus as the King of Israel, it reveals that the crowd saw Jesus as Israel's promised King, the one they had long awaited for, the one like David who would come, the Messiah. Put yourself in that situation. I mean, you can you can almost feel their excitement, right? I mean, it, it's, it just kind of stands out to the page for you guys. I was reading this week. I was like, they're shouting. It says they're shouting, Hosanna. They're cutting tree branches and they're, they're lining the road. They're there to welcome the king. He's finally here. Yet in all that excitement, something many of them miss read the rest of this scene. Let's paint the rest of it in, as John does for us. Verse 14 and 15. And Jesus, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colts. The last part of this is Jesus is riding on a donkey. An odd choice. Odd choice for a king. John points out explicitly that this, this fulfills what Zechariah prophesied. The king would come, just as it was written. He'd come not on a war horse, bringing his kingdom and his reign through force and military might. No, instead, instead he'd come lowly on a, on a beast of burden, in peace, not with war. Now, specifically, the, the Old Testament passage that he's quoting is Zechariah 9.9. 9. 
And if you go and look at that prophecy, it goes on from there. And it tells of the king being righteous and bringing salvation. Something very different than the kings of the past. Righteous, in particular. The king goes on, he does away with the weapons of war and brings peace to all nations. His reign is described from sea to sea. To the ends of the earth, as we saw in the book of Acts. Now this image, the image of a, of a king coming in on a donkey in peace, doesn't originate with Zechariah's prophecy. It actually predates that. It goes all the way back to David. David returning to Jerusalem after he's been run out by his usurper son Absalom. Right? Absalom trying to steal the throne. David's run out and, and he's wandering, he's fleeing, and, and God delivers him. He, he carries him along, returns the kingdom to his hands. And David the man after God's heart, God's king. He rides back into Jerusalem on a donkey in peace rather than in war, vengeance, seeking revenge. He comes in peace as he returns to Jerusalem on a donkey. Jesus, choosing to get on a donkey, is tapping into the rich, this rich image from history. He's fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah. By choosing to get on a donkey to ride this final portion to Jerusalem. And it's a choice. It's a deliberate choice. It's clear it's an intentional choice. He's walked all over Judea, walked from Galilee for his, from, for his ministry. He walked the 13 miles from Ephraim to uh, Bethany just the day before. He certainly doesn't need a donkey to make the two-mile journey into Jerusalem. Now that. He found a young donkey and he sat on it, just as it is written. And Jesus is doing this to make absolutely clear that he is the promised king, the prophesied king, who comes in peace. He comes to bring salvation in peace, not through war. Jesus is the king like David. He is the king that Zechariah prophesied. The one that would come and bring a peaceful reign to the ends of the earth. That's what he's doing here. And despite these historic connections, despite these prophecies and this image that they knew of David, many missed it. In the excitement and shouting Hosanna, many missed it. You know, maybe they were caught up in, in their excitement about the king being there. And, and maybe, they, maybe they're thinking about what that might mean for them. Would they be a nation again under, under a king like they were prior, throwing off their Roman oppressors? Whatever the reason it was, whatever they were thinking about, many misunderstood what the king being was there, what the king was there to do, and what him being there meant. Let's read the last part of our passage, which makes this clear. Let's see this this morning. Picking up in, in verse 16. His, Jesus' disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified after the resurrection, uh, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and, he had, and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why that crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done the sign. So, 
The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, said to one another, You see, we have gained nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. And here John's telling us, even the closest of Jesus' disciples, the closest to him, those that had been with him, talked with him, had heard his teachings, and didn't quite get it at the time. A crowd gathered and followed him when he had raised Lazarus from the dead. They continued to talk about that and talk about this Jesus who has power to do this miracle. Right? And, and word spreads and even, and even more numerous crowds gather. Right? And so much so that the, the Pharisees, they're just disheartened. Right? That you can't resist this guy. Uh, the whole world's gone after him. Right? And to them it must have felt that way. The crowd's immense. Yet, yet they missed it. They didn't quite get it. There's all these people assembled, even the disciples, and they didn't quite get it. They saw him as king. They proclaimed him as king. Hosanna, the king of Israel. But they didn't understand what that meant. I think it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating that even the disciples didn't get it, right? They didn't, they, they, they knew that Jesus was the promised king, but they didn't understand what that meant. In fact, been a student student of the Gospels, you know that this happens a lot, actually, that the disciples didn't get it. In particular, we see this more in, in John's Gospel, where he tells what it was like being a disciple following Jesus and not fully getting it at the time, right? only understanding it later. And I think when we encounter these things, it can be these types of passages or these times, we it can be tempting for us to think that the disciples or the crowd or those that missed it, right, those that didn't get it, to think of them as thick-headed or, or dim, right? The problem is, is, is we do that from a position of privilege, the privilege of hindsight, of living on the other side of the resurrection when all this has been made clear. When Jesus has resurrected and opened the scriptures to, to his followers to say, this all was revealing me, this was all pointing to me, this is what was happening here. We live on the other side of the resurrection with the Holy Spirit that illuminates the scriptures, that makes it clear to us who Jesus was and what he did. And the statement about John from John, the statement about the disciples not getting it at the moment in the moment. It's not meant to embarrass the disciples, to reveal them as ignorant. It's to show the reality of what following Jesus is like. The reality that despite this grandiose, kingly welcome of Jesus to Jerusalem, they didn't get it. They didn't have a clue of what was ahead. They were shocked come Friday. Most had wildly inaccurate expectations of what it meant that the promised king was here. Most had different expectations of what he was going to do. And almost no one, in fact, I don't think anyone, knew that he was going to the cross. It took Jesus being resurrected and opening the scriptures to his followers and the Holy Spirit illuminating the truth of Jesus to be fully made. Think about it. This is what it's like following Jesus. It's like watching the movie The Sixth Sense, which I know is a dated reference, so I can spoil the movie for you. It's like watching the movie The Sixth Sense. You're watching the movie all along, and you believe the film as it's revealed, the story as it's being revealed to you, until you get to the end. And then you realize the guy's been dead the whole time. And so the whole movie takes on a new shape and new understanding. Everything is different now. We understand it. 
everything shifts into focus. What was fuzzy is now clear. That's what happened to the disciples after Jesus resurrected. After Jesus revealed the scriptures and opened them to them, they pointed, all of this has been pointing to me and to this moment before he settles. The Holy Spirit opens their mind. It's the big reveal. That's what we're coming towards this week. The same is true for us. We're all invited into a sixth sense moment as we follow Jesus. You see, we can, we can attend church our whole lives and not fully get it. We can know a lot about Jesus and never really see him. We can worship on Palm Sunday and Easter and just be thinking about the party afterwards in France. <laughs> It takes encountering Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit to illuminate the scriptures for us to truly see Jesus as King and to get what that means for us, to really get it. Seeing Jesus as King means seeing Him as King of my whole life, every part of my being, every part of my life, how I choose to spend my time, my money, my energy. Jesus is King over this. How I choose to invest my talents, apply my gifts, use my education. Jesus is king over all of those. How I make decisions about who I befriend, who I date and how I date, who I marry. Jesus is king over all of that. The king shapes how I parent, what I choose to engage with entertainment-wise, how I choose to live my life. The king is king over all. Jesus is king. It shapes every part of our lives. It affects every part of our lives. That's because his kingdom has no end. His reign fills the entire earth. That means there is nowhere you can go, nothing you can do that is outside the reign of Jesus in your life. Jesus is king of all. So, on Palm Sunday, we declare Jesus is the promised king. Jesus is king, the Messiah long awaited for. He is the stone that toppled Nebuchadnezzar's statue, right? We saw that. He's the mountain that expands to the ends of the earth. We saw that as well. He's the king with a kingdom that has no end. The Son of Man coming on the clouds to kill and uh, to strike the evil one and kill him once and for all. It's the King that welcomes all nations to gather under his peaceful reign. Jesus is King. Even if we are confused about what that means, he is still King. Jesus is King. Even if we chase after other kings in our lives, other idols, other false kings, Jesus is still the true King. Jesus is king, and I invite you to make him king of your whole life today. On Palm Sunday, declare Jesus is king of your life. Will you pray with me?